I want to invite you guys to the book of John chapter 4. That's where we are today, book of John, John chapter 4. And uh, as I think about this passage, let me, let me just start it off this way. If you, have you ever been in one of those moments where you get a phone call and someone unexpectedly, it's one of those calls that just kind of rocks your world and someone says to you, something bad's happened. Um, I don't know how to tell you this, but they've taken a turn for the worse. If you don't get here soon, um, you're not going to see them again. They're fading fast. Come quickly. Maybe you've been there. Hopefully not, but maybe you have. Maybe, maybe you can even think of a, a loved one, a, a parent, a, a, a sibling, a spouse, a child, a friend, where that news enters into your life and tragedy strikes. And when you go through the type of grief of that experience, your, your soul aches at a depth that words can't even express. And it's in those moments that you realize the frailty of humanity and we as people, we have, we have a problem that we can't overcome and, and a big problem needs a big God. And that's what John chapter four is. When you enter into this passage of scripture, that's, that's exactly what we discover. Big problems need an even bigger God. And in verse 46, listen to how this story starts. So Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water and wine. So you remember how the story begins? Jesus' Jesus's ministry is pronounced here. Uh, he turns water into wine, John chapter two. And then he goes to Jerusalem during the Passover and that's where he breaks out the whip and starts cracking the whip on people. And, uh, and then he meets uh, Nicodemus at night and then he runs into the woman at the well. And then he comes back up to the same region from where his ministry started. So he's returned to that area again. And then it goes on. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So it says to us in the story, someone's child is is sick and dying. And some of us know what the struggle is like over the health of your child, right? You would do anything for them. You can't stand to see their pain and you would gladly take their place to, to save their life. And, you know, when I, I think about this, I, I just consider more than just the physical battle that takes place here. I think there's a, there's a spiritual battle that exists as well. Like, you know, I think Satan even knows if he, if he can't get us directly by, by tempting us or luring us uh, in person or, or, or trying to directly impact us that way, he can, he can go after our family. He can tempt us that way. And how many of us, when our child gets sick, we were gripped with worry or fear or maybe the adrenaline pumps. And, uh, you know, I know as a pastor, probably one of the most frequent prayers that I, I have with people is, is uh, with parents over their, their children and the struggle and the battle that takes place. And what's interesting in this passage in verse 46, what, what, what uh, John wants us to de- definitely know about this person that comes to Jesus is that he is an official. And why does that matter? 
Describes, describes this man this way, right? He, he's an official, and I think what it's saying to us is that all that the world has to offer, all of the resources, he knows the people in, in higher positions. Like, he has the, uh, the ability to call on someone in his time of need. He, he has the, the greatest things life has to offer at, uh, offer at this point in time. He, it, it's at his fingertips. But the one thing that he lacks is the ability to transform this moment that he would change more than anything else in this world. And this story exposes for us the, the facade of power and the weakness of humanity. This guy has a, has a big problem and he needs a big solution to the point that he drops everything that he's doing at, at the mention of the thought that Jesus is returning to the region of Galilee. What would it take for you to give Jesus that same opportunity? How far would you be willing to go? It says, I, I, I looked this up just out of curiosity on, on Google Maps. I, I got a map on the screen. I just typed it in, Capernaum to, uh, to, to Cana of Galilee. And lo and behold, it actually still fits on a map. You can look it up today. And, and, and if you were to make that journey yourself, and I can imagine how this guy, this guy definitely didn't travel by automobile, right? So he, he hears the rumor, the possibility that Jesus is returning to at least somewhere in the region that he, he lives. But it's actually actually over, over 20 miles from where his town is at. And off the possibility of being able to make this journey and encounter Jesus, he, he goes. And apparently there's three routes that you can take, but all of them are at least seven hours long. If he's going by foot, if he travels by horse, he might be able to do it within a couple of hours, but he, he, he makes this journey to, to run into Jesus how far, how far are you willing to go for the struggles that you face, especially when it relates to your children? You know, I think in my life, I feel like I've taken too many visits to Shriners Hospital or Children's Primary in Salt Lake. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm thankful for places like that that exist, right? But, but how great would it be if it, if it never had to again? And you walk those halls and you, you see parents that are, are fighting for their children and children fighting for their life. How, how far would you go? And you see this, this man, this official, he doesn't have the ability within himself to rescue his child. So at the possibility of encountering Jesus, he makes this journey in pain, pain drives this man towards a solution. So in, in verse 48, this is how Jesus responds when he, when he finally encounters Christ. Jesus says to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus is beginning to teach this man this, this, this lesson that develops throughout his encounter with Christ. But, but Jesus is saying something different, something deeper here. That, that yes, indeed, Jesus can come and Jesus can perform miracles. But the purpose for Jesus' coming isn't just about miracles. 
There's something deeper within all of us that, that we need in Christ. And yes, Jesus can provide temporary relief here, but, but there's something more to the identity of Christ. And, and Jesus even just got finished teaching this with the woman at the well in John chapter four, verse 26. You remember the story where Jesus comes to the woman and she's saying, Jesus, you sound like a prophet. And she's like, I, I know there's one coming who's the Messiah and, and he'll be responsible and, and he can rescue us. And, and Jesus looks at her and says, the, the one who is before you, I am, I am he. I am that one. And Jesus is identifying it, that what makes him so great isn't what he can do. It's who he is because in who he is, you find the greatness of what he does. To look deeper than just the action, but to the identity. And, and that's what this, this guy is beginning to learn about Jesus as, as Jesus starts with this dialogue. But then, but then in verse 49, I mean, you don't even need any voice inflection to understand the angst of what this man says. In verse 49, you can hear the pain in his own statement. Look, look at it. And he says, the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. How many of you think you would have made that kind of a statement with a half-hearted tone? You see a story like this and you know it's hard. Why? Because without even expressing it to a human soul, we know that we're made for life and not for death. So you can just feel the pain of, of this man's statement through, through the pages, right? Sir, come down before my child dies. And, and it's interesting in this verse how he addresses Jesus. Like if we said, uh, official, who is Jesus to you? And he would just say, you know, I, I don't even know. I, I just, I'm just starting to hear stories about him. It's gone all the way to Capernaum from, from, from this region of Cana of Galilee. And, and, and so when I, I just know that I need to find him, I, any possibility for my child, I just, I just need to run after this solution. And so when he addresses Jesus, it's not God. It's sir. It's sir. But God redeems the pain. I'm not saying in this story that God caused the pain, but the pain caused the man to come to Christ. You ever thought about it? What led you to come to Jesus? Or if you're not quite there, what, what has provoked you to even be curious about Jesus? I, I think it's rare that our story would be like, you know, my life was perfect and I needed nothing at all. Now, who comes to Jesus that way? Usually a, a story as it is coming to crisis, we recognize there's a problem. There's a, an unsettling in our soul, a disturbance, a, a need. There's, we're driven towards a solution. That, that struggle, that pain, that's, that's what drives us to Christ. I mean, that's what the gospel is, is it not? Like, you think about the story, there's sin in this world. The gospel isn't sin, the gospel's good news, but there's sin in this world. There's a problem, we need hope, we, we need a solution. And, and the gospel becomes that hope that Jesus is that solution, that, that, that Jesus is that healing, that Jesus is that place that our soul finds reconciliation in him God redeems the pain uh, I, I love the way uh, Johnny Erickson Tata put it if, if you're not familiar with her she's a young lady at 17 she uh, was in a, a diving accident and it left her paralyzed and, and she's a believer in Christ and from that position she's gone around to just share from, from her own struggles how she has a walk with Jesus but this is what she says she says without troubles in this world 
I wonder how many of us would actually be believers. Interesting way to think about it, isn't it? Because oftentimes I think as Christians, we look at our struggles and, and we often see them contrary to the will of God that when I, when I want to discover God's will for my life, it's obviously the easiest road, you know? But she says about her own life, she says, I would rather know Jesus in this wheelchair than live without him on my feet. If I'm being honest with myself, that the trouble in my own life is, is the very reason I came to know Christ. And it's that tension that trouble brings that keeps me close to Christ. You know, like this child in the story, we all need Jesus. And I think this is what Jesus is saying to, uh, to this leader in, in verse 48. It's not just about these signs and wonders. Like Jesus comes and he, he does this for us and he, he, to demonstrate the goodness of who he is. But there's a, there's a deeper unsettling in our soul that Christ has come to answer. In fact, Psalm 39 and verse 4, it says this to us. Oh Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths. My, my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. God, don't, me, don't let me live under the delusion of the facade of what life is. There's a frailty to my humanity that it doesn't matter my position, my power, my title, that one day it will come to an end. And without hope in you, what hope is there? That's, that's the image that Jesus wants this, uh, this official to understand. I, you know, when I think about the idea of pain, I, I'm, not, I'm not just trying to make things difficult to make things difficult. I, I, I don't want to pursue pain. I'm not, I'm not saying go out and make life hard for you. But I am saying I'm thankful that God meets us there. I'm thankful for a Jesus who is willing to enter into our sufferings because he cares. There's a God that cares about our flight in life and, and he, he wants to turn funerals into celebrations and redeem our struggles and our sufferings. And so this is what this, this man begins to, to learn in the story that Jesus' word is sufficient for our need. Oftentimes we just want to find temporal solutions, but, but Jesus is showing a, a deeper solution in, in him and that's what he teaches this man in verse 50. Look at this. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. You know, I think about this. What, what else would this man believe in this passage, in this story? Because he just said to this man, look, uh, Jesus is saying, look, because I do miracles, is that, that's the reason. It's not about just the miracles. You, you need to believe because of who I am. And so I'm giving you this statement. What's the guy going to say then? Okay, I, I, yeah, that's great, Jesus, but I still, uh, you still got to come with me. No, Jesus gives a statement. He says, okay, okay, Jesus, uh, sir, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you at your word and, and do what you said. Jesus is capable of doing what he says. Uh, his word is is sufficient so that just says to us that simply when jesus says it we should believe it when jesus says it 
Our souls should cling to those words. I found myself as a, as a follower of Jesus, a disciple in him. I, I probably repeat that to myself as much as anything else in the Christian life. Like when I open up God's word, Lord, help me retain this. Lord, help me see the value of what's being expressed here to, to see these words as life itself. I mean, that's what Jesus teaches in this verse. Like, because I said it, it that's what makes it happen. It's, it's the authority of who I am. And so when I give that declaration, there is, there is life. And so that's what Jesus is communicating to this guy. And what you see is he believes. And the reason that we know he believes is because he obeys. Belief and obedience, they're not disconnected. What you truly believe, you obey. So sometimes when the words of our mouth don't match our lifestyles, what we're communicating is the words of our mouth aren't really what we believe. What you believe, you obey. I I think for us as people today, we don't lack information. What what we lack is obedience. And and what you see in this story is this guy, he comes to Jesus and he doesn't know a whole lot about Jesus. That's why he calls Jesus sir. He's not really sure everything that this Jesus is yet. And then Jesus gives him one statement and he does what every good disciple should do. He decides, you know what? I'm going to believe it. I'm going to follow it. Verse 51. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to be better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. I love the, the importance of what we learn here as disciples today. It's good what this guy learns about the authority of Jesus' word, but I think it's even better for us. This makes it even sweeter having been a couple thousand years removed from this because what, what it says to us is God doesn't have to be face-to-face to provide what we need in life, that God can do what his word says from a distance because I think for us the goodness of that is that we, we, we don't see Jesus face-to-face right now, but if his word declares it to us, then it's true. And so what it's saying to you is, is the Jesus Jesus that you find in scripture in this passage is the same Jesus that you seek today. In in Hebrews chapter 13, verse eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the same God that they're getting to know in this story is the same God that you get to worship in these moments. And so what God declares for, for his people in the first century is the same promises that God gives to his people today, which means this, you should know his word. What are those promises? What hope should your soul cling to? If I gave you just a a memory verse to to meditate on and and let you reflect on throughout the week, let me just give you this. In Matthew 24, towards the end of Jesus' life, listen to what he says. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Never. See the significance of what Jesus says. It's even greater than the feet or where your feet are placed this morning. It's, it's greater than the ground of which you have walked in in this building today. That, that even, even the foundation of this earth could fade away, but there is one thing that will last forever, and that is the words of Christ. His word endures. How important 
that word should become to us that no time in God's word is wasted time to get to know what Jesus says for you and about you and the hope that he brings to you in the struggle of life. In verse 53, the father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all of his household. I love this. It's a, it says to us, really, a, a broken life in the hands of God, it's, it's, it's ripe for, for blessing. And, and what we're finding in verse 53 is this man, this man no longer just simply believed the word that Jesus spoke. What he starts to believe in in this verse is, is more than just the word now. He believes in the person of who Christ is. I, I, I know in this Christian walk, having done this for a while, that we, we find ourselves in, in sort of this, this gamut of, of position in how we see Jesus. Like we're all not in the same place. And, and maybe, maybe you come to a story like this and you find yourself like the official here in the beginning. I don't really know who Jesus is. But I'm starting to learn what Jesus says. And I'm just gonna take one step and trust in that. What Jesus says is true. And that's what this official began to do. He stepped into the statement of Christ. That's why I said to you, when you open up the book of John, the beautiful thing about the book of John is, is John can meet you no matter where you are in your life. Like if you're just walking with Jesus for the first time, you open up the book of John and you read it like a child and the Lord has something for you there. And then the depth of John is so incredible because it's, it's rooted in a lot of custom and cultural ideas of first century Judaism. And so when you can start to unpack that, if you've walked with Jesus for, for several years, you can see the depth of what's communicated here and the beauty of Christ. And it's just, this is an incredible book that no matter how many times you go through it, over and over again, you're seeing the richness of, of who Christ is. But, but whatever, what, whatever goes on in your life and however you come to Jesus, just trusting, understanding his word and just taking that next step and trusting in him and trusting in him and trusting in him. What you find along the way is Jesus is everything that he says he is. And it's more than just believing in a statement now. It's believing in his identity. It's about who he is. And here's the reality. In the pain, this man comes for a cure, for a son. But the entire family is healed. That's incredible. The child is cured, but everyone in the family is healed. And, and guys, can I, just, can I just encourage you one way um, here, men especially? I'm, I'm just to say this. Um, statistically... And this isn't always true, but statistically, in a home, when, when the wife believes, um, sometimes the family believes. But do you know men in a home where the father takes his walk with Jesus seriously, it's a higher probability that the entire family believes. And there's a crisis in our country for men to be men. I was reading a book yesterday, and I can't even remember the title, but it it was talking about a nun who went into a prison. And she decided when she went into the prison, it was close to Mother's Day, so she wanted to provide the prisoners with Mother's Day cards in case they wanted to send it to their mothers for Mother's Day. 
And when she got there, she was shocked that there was such a demand that she didn't have enough cards. And so she wrote to Hallmark and Hallmark sent a bunch of cards to her and she took it to the prison. It still wasn't enough for the prisoners to fill out for Mother's Day cards for, for their, their mothers. And so she had the, uh, the leaders there in, in the prison to, to do a, uh, a drawing to see what men would even be able to get these cards to be to send to their mothers, and so they handed out according to the drawing. And she realized because she lacked so much to provide for these prisoners to send these cards to their moms that she was going to get an early start because she knew Father's Day was just around the corner. And so she wrote to Hallmark again, and she requested all these cards. And she showed up to the prison to hand out these cards to the prisoners to write to their fathers. And you know how many prisoners took took the cards? Zero. Not a one of them wanted to write to their dad. And she was shocked. But that says something about the importance of fathers, doesn't it? Your presence in the home, your influence over your family, the importance of your walk with Jesus. You know, sometimes I I meet men that think that following after Christ, um, they treat treat it more like uh, uh, throwing away your mind or, or, or... I don't know, it's, it's just something that they're not interested in. But I, I think in having walked with Jesus for, for a number of years now, I just say this, I think it takes a real man to really do that. It's a coward's castle to ignore Christ, not deal with that stuff. And you think about what the calling of Jesus is. Take up your cross daily in Luke 9 and follow after me. It's a death to self to bless the world. You have to lay your life down on the altar of convenience that the glory of God be made known in your life. This culture needs men that are willing to take the journey of 20 miles if if that's what it takes to bless their family. For the benefit of others. We said this last week at men's group, guys, but when, when, when men don't live like men are called to live according to the world, or according to the Lord, the world suffers. When you use your strength for you, it treats everyone else as a commodity and it destroys the world. But when you use your strength for him, it's a blessing to people around you. And that's what this official models. He's a leader. He's a leader. Yet he submits to Jesus. And he walks in obedience. Now, it may have been his own struggle that took him here, the, the, the battle in their family, but he was still willing to surrender to Jesus. Verse 54, I'll lay off you guys. <laughs> this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Two things Jesus did in this region, and both were culturally unique, and, and both were just the kind of strange miracles, right? And we talked about um, a few weeks ago, the wedding at Cana. Just of all the things, when Jesus is introducing his ministry to the world, turning water into wine is just bizarre. Like, Jesus, come on, let me, let me be your PR man here. Raise the dead. <laughs> like, let the first one be raised the dead. And Jesus turns water into wine. And it, it's an interesting story. We've talked about it. I don't want to get back into it. But, but then he goes down. You think about it. He goes down to the temple and he makes a whip and he starts cracking it on people in the temple. And, and then he, he talks to some guy at night named Nicodemus. And then he makes the journey back north and he goes through Samaria, which is the hated land. And he talks to what the culture would say is probably the most unimportant woman in all of the region at the well and now he gets back to Cana of Galilee and he heals a child and in this culture 
Children, children weren't respected. It was even, it's been written of kids during this time period that some parents didn't even bother naming their kid until they were two years old just, just because of the infant mortality rate being so high. The children were just kind of pushed aside. You see it in Jesus' ministry that when people would bring kids to Jesus, that sometimes they would try to push the children aside and Jesus was always calling the kids near because he, he knew that every human being is created in the image of God. And, but when you think about this from a cultural context, all that Jesus has done to this point, his only miracle has been, has been he's turned water into wine and some kid that wasn't even present, he just he healed him from 20 miles away and no one with Jesus in this moment would even know that. It's just like, how, how do you know that? that even becomes true lest you make that 20 mile journey and see it. But yet Jesus ministers to the forgotten. The woman at the well, the people that couldn't afford the wine at the wedding, this child. And so what does that communicate to us? Well, it says something important about Jesus because when we read stories like this, sometimes we think that's great that God is there for these people like that, but who am I? Who am I? And the answer is that you're important to Jesus. You're important to Jesus because that's the illustration of his life that he's constantly demonstrating over and over through all of these pages is that there is no one that, that is beneath the opportunity of coming to know Christ. That's why Jesus goes to the least of these in this world because he's saying it doesn't, God doesn't care. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Every soul is important to God and Jesus comes to give his life. So here's the question for us then. Where is my healing? Where, where is my healing? If, if Jesus does this for, for this child, where, where is my healing? And you know, some, some people read narrative stories and I think we expect the same things to happen, be repeated for, for us just because uh, in the story, this kid's healed, then I should be healed too. But you know, narratives aren't always normative. That's, that's why they're narratives. There's this exceptional story that's intended to highlight something greater about God for us to know. Narratives aren't normative and narratives aren't necessarily prescriptive for life. They're, they're descriptive in understanding who God is. It's sharing a story that we glean from this, something about the the greater nature of God and his purpose in the world. But if you want to think about your miracle, let me give you this. Isaiah chapter uh, 53 and verse five, look what it says. But he was pierced for our sufferings or our, our offenses, sorry. He was crushed for our wrongdoings. The punishment for our well being was laid upon him. What's Jesus coming for? You. You. He knows the struggle of life. He knows what your soul needs. So your offenses, your wrongdoings, your punishment laid upon him. And then it says this, the very end of this verse, and by his wounds we are what? Healed. By his wounds we are healed healed. That Jesus does this temporal healing in the world, this physical touch in the world as a greater demonstration of what he would ultimately do for your soul. Now it is true one day, one day everything in this world will be healed. Every wrong will be reconciled, but it doesn't tell us when. But right now, Right now in Jesus, your very soul can be healed in him. And that's the point of the story, isn't it? The boy was cured. The boy was cured. That's great. The boy was cured. But why, why was the boy cured? Well, it was a, it was a point uh, to, 
get our eyes on something greater that Jesus would come to do. That through the curing of this one boy, this whole family is healed so that in their example, we could find healing in Christ as well. The fact that we can be healed in Jesus means God sees our pain and he cares. God cares about our our struggles. You know, I can't tell you why every bad thing happens to us in life. But I can tell you by Jesus' example in this story that he cares. And our struggles draw us to him. The need for a solution. It's the pain you have experienced in your own life that helps you appreciate when we describe the nail-pierced hands of Christ. You've gone through your own battles, your own hardship, and it's in that experience that when you find out that this Jesus becomes flesh and gives his very life for you and his, and his hands suffered for you that your soul can more deeply appreciate what it means when God says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. That the father would send his son for you. I, I, I don't want pain in life. But I must acknowledge that the pain that I've gone through, the pain in this story, becomes the place to see the goodness of a God who pursues me, has great plans for me, and therefore, I will cling to his words. His words are life. And when I hold to the goodness of his word and I trust in that word, it possesses the healing that my soul needs. This message has been brought to you by Alpine Bible Church in Lehigh, Utah. If you'd like more information, please visit us online at alpinebible.com.